First Peter chapter number three. First uh, Peter chapter three this morning to read one verse of scripture and have a word of prayer and then you can be seated. First Peter chapter three and uh, verse number 18. First Peter chapter three and verse number 18. The Bible said, For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll touch us these next few moments. I pray that you'll give us liberty. I pray, God, that you'll uh, bless the message, save the lost, and rekindle the hearts of those that uh, maybe backslid this morning. I pray, God, that, uh, Lord, that we would look to you. We thank you for the good testimonies. Thank you, dear God, for every song that's been sung and for the offering and the opportunity to give. Thank you for the means to give this morning in the offering. And I pray now that you'll uh, help us, Lord, get glory and honor, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen, amen. You can be seated. I want you to notice the first phrase in our text this morning. Uh, the Bible talks about here as, it says, as Peter is writing, it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for uh, sins. I want to preach this morning on Calvary, uh, the place of pain. Calvary, uh, the place of pain. When you think about this phrase that we find in this verse, for Christ once suffered uh, for, uh, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins. When you think about that phrase this morning, uh, you think about the person as Paul or as Peter begins this text, he begins it uh, with the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is because Peter is talking to believers about suffering. He's talking about them suffering as a Christian and what they go through. And when he gets down to verse number 18, he uses the greatest example of suffering in all the pages of the Word of God, and that is our Savior. Amen? I want to say this morning that just as this verse begins with the person of Christ, everything begins with the person of Christ. He is our everything. Jesus is our all in all. And so there is the person and then there is the pain in this text here. Notice he said also hath once suffered. You ought to circle that word suffering or suffered because everything in this verse is connected with that one word. Jesus suffered. We know that. When he went to Calvary, we know that Calvary was no picnic. We know that Calvary was no bed of roses. Amen. Calvary meant pain and Calvary meant suffering and Jesus uh, uh, suffered on the cross as Brother Allen uh, mentioned that in Sunday school this morning and so there is the pain and then there's the promise in this phrase look what he said for Christ also hath once suffered amen you know that word once simply means this uh, it means perpetual uh, validity no requiring uh, uh, repetition amen in other words when Jesus died on the cross uh, uh, prior to Calvary prior to the pain and the suffering and the agony. Uh, there had been millions and millions uh, of animals that had been slaughtered down through uh, the annals of time. Uh, uh, the Old Testament economy uh, just declared one sacrifice after another. And the blood of animals, uh, the blood of bulls and the blood of goats uh, uh, would never uh, uh, cancel sin. Uh, it would only atone sin. And the sin debt was still there. It was just putting the note off. But when Jesus died, my friend, he died as a lamb to 
the slaughter. Amen. He went as a sheep before shears his dove and he opened not his mouth. And the Bible said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And as Jesus died at Calvary, he died once and he died for all. Amen. I want to say I've said it for the last few weeks, but I want to say it again. I am not a Calvinist. Amen. I may be saying that because I've read some Calvinists lately and every time I come to one of them's reading, I think, how in the world can you miss it? Amen. Jesus died once and he died for all. Amen. That means he died for you. That means he died for me. That means he died for the whole world. That means red, yellow, black, or white, they're all precious in his sight. Bond or free, guilty or innocent, young or old, rich or poor. He died for every one of us and he's willing, not willing that any would perish but that all would come to repentance. And so there is the person and there is the pain and there is the promise. I want to stop and say this before I move on. In Revelation 1 in verse number 8, he said, I'm he that liveth and was dead and I'm alive forevermore. Amen. I want to say he never suffered before the cross and he'll never suffer after the cross. Amen. And so there is the promise and then there is the purpose. Look at verse number 18. The Bible said, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins. What is the purpose of his suffering? He died for sins. And he died for sinners. That ought to startle every one of us this morning. When we think about the pain, the agony, the suffering of the cross and of our of Christ, uh, he did not suffer for prosperity. He did not suffer for population. He did not suffer, my friend, uh, for popularity. He did not suffer for pleasure, uh, but he suffered for sins. Uh, when you think about the cruelty and you think about the crown uh, and you think about the cross, uh, uh, Jesus went through all of that uh, for sins, uh, but not for his sins. We know that he was not a sinner. We know that he could not have sinned. We know that he did not sin. Amen. I'm glad he is the sinless, suffering son of God in this text this morning. He is the sinless, suffering son of God in this little phrase this morning. But when we think about Calvary being the place of pain, I want you to notice four things in this text that Peter will deal with. And every bit of it has to do with the suffering of our Savior. It has to do with the pain of Calvary. I want you to notice first of all uh, the mercy in his suffering this morning. Notice that little phrase there. He said the just uh, for the unjust. Uh, The just uh, for the unjust. Uh, You know whenever a sinner gets saved, what happens to them when they get saved? They get justified, don't they? You know when I got saved and I'm sure many of you would testify the same. I didn't know what the word justified justification meant uh, and I didn't know that I was justified uh, I tell you when I got off my knees uh, I felt as though and just as if uh, as it's been said that I had never sinned uh, even though I had sinned uh, I felt that liberty I felt that burden of sin rolled away uh, you say what is that that's justification you see before you get saved uh, all you have is condemnation amen you're always condemned uh, you're condemned already and you're 
living under that cloud of condemnation. If the preacher preaches on hell, you're feeling condemned. If he preaches on you must be born again, you're feeling condemned. But after you get saved, you don't feel condemned because condemnation is rolled away. And Romans 8 and verse 1 said, there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Condemnation is gone and justification has been applied. Hallelujah. And the Bible even calls us just. It says the just shall live by faith. But in reality, we were not just. We were unjust. And Jesus Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. I remind us this morning that he was holy when he went to Calvary, but we were unholy, amen? When Jesus went to Calvary, he was sinless, but we were sinful. He was righteous, but we was unrighteous. He was innocent, but we were guilty. When Christ went to Calvary, he was pure, undefiled, but we were filthy. He was just, but we were unjust. You see, Jesus was willing to be our substitute. He was willing to take our sin, take our crown, take our cross, take our beating, our humiliation. He was willing to take our suffering, our pain, our agony. He bore every bit. That should have been me. That should have been you. But Jesus Christ took it all. I want to say, oh, what mercy. Oh, what love. The mercy in his suffering is that he was willing to trade my places with me. He was really willing to trade places with you. I took on his peace while he took on my burden of sin. I took on his joy while he took on my guilt. He became sin. He knew no sin, but he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him this morning. The mercy in his suffering. That God would grant us mercy is almost unexplainable but for the cross this morning. You say, how in the world would God, how in the world could God grant me mercy for Christ's sake this morning? Because Christ showed us mercy I want to say this morning, the Father shows us mercy. The mercy is seen in his suffering friend. He took it all for you and for me. And then I see not only the mercy in his suffering, but I want you to notice this morning uh, the motive in his suffering. I think the question that is asked in this verse or should be asked is this, uh, why would Jesus do such a thing? Why would he suffer what the just for the unjust? Why would the innocent die for the guilty? Why would the righteous die for the unrighteous? Why would the holy die for the unholy? I'll tell you the motive of it all is found right here in our text. Notice uh, the Bible says that he might bring us to God. Amen? That he might bring us to God. I want to tell you this morning that uh, the motive of his suffering, my friend, uh, uh, is uh, that he might bring us to God. Uh, isn't that interesting, that word for uh, that phrase? 
always bring us to. It means to have an audience with a court. And what that means is in ancient days, listen, you didn't just walk into a king's presence. You didn't just walk into a courtroom scene. But I'll tell you what would happen. Somebody that had access, someone that was able to go into the presence of the king would go in on your behalf and they would present you to the king and it gave you an audience with the king and with the court. Can I tell you this morning, there's no way I could ever get in the presence of God on my own. There's no way I would ever be worthy enough of the stand in the presence of sovereignty and of the king almighty and the king of the ages. But because of Christ, because of his death, because of his blood, because of Calvary, because he suffered for me, thank God it gives me an audience into the throne room. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus at Calvary stretched his hands out and he took man in one hand and he took God in the other hand and he joined them together and the cross and the pain, oh and the suffering and the agony, it brings us together with God, hallelujah. I want to tell you, God reached all the way back. Christ uh, reached all the way back to Adam uh, and he reached all the way down uh, uh, to the last sinner that would ever be born. Uh, and my friend at Calvary, with his hand stretched out, he not only brought man and God together, but he reached a hold of every sin in the past uh, and every sin in the present uh, and every sin in the future. And he brought it all uh, under to himself uh, and he nailed it to the cross. Uh, and I want to say, bless his name. Uh, thank God this morning. Uh, I'm glad uh, for the ministry and the motive uh, is to bring us to God this morning. You know, we nobody had to come in and bring an animal today. Nobody had to bring a lamb. You know, I think about some people act like it's a burden to go to church. But I'm going to tell you something. Could you imagine the burden of sacrifice and worship under the Old Testament? Now you would do it or you would die. We're living in grace this morning. And I know I'm preaching to the crowd that's here, but we all stand to be reminded of this. That's why y'all to never lay in bed and miss church. Somebody say amen. That's why y'all don't never sit at the house and watch a ball game. Watch other churches having revival or having Wednesday night prayer meeting. That's why you should never be on the ball field while prayer meeting's going on. Somebody say amen. That's why you should never be out selling Tupperware. I don't know if anybody even sells Tupperware anymore. All that pampered chef, I reckon that's what it is. I'm just trying to keep up with some of this stuff. But you know, or beads or whatever it is you sell or all that voodoo oil, you know. I mean, listen, if you want to sell it, sell on, amen, uh, but you ought to never be out on Wednesday night, uh, listen, God will never bless that, uh, he'll never bless you for that, uh, hey listen, you say I know a good revival going on down the road uh, I'll tell you, if your church is having revival, you ought to be at your church somebody say amen, not somewhere else, uh, uh, God will never bless that neither, while I'm on the subject this morning hey, you say, but preacher, why are you preaching on that and preaching on Calvary I'll tell you why, God help our sorry self, uh, if we lay in the bed or stay at the house when Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and he bled and he died so that he could bring us to God. We ought to be standing on our tiptoes every time the house of God is open and ready to go to church and worship God. Amen. Hallelujah. 
I'm talking about the motive of his suffering. In essence, it's easy this morning to come in the presence of God. Now, some people want you to think that they have some direct in line with God that nobody else has, but it's not true. Others may use the access more than what others do. But the truth of the matter is God is no respecter of persons. As the songwriter said, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. If you're willing to trust and believe, the door is wide open this morning. Jesus shed his blood every bit as much for you as he did someone else. And if you're willing to come, that word boldly does not mean arrogant. It does not mean proud. I listen, the charismatic likes to say that they demand God to do things, but I'll tell you, that's a fearful thought process. You're not gonna demand God to do anything. You're not gonna, I know God is bound to his word. He's bound to his promises. And I'm gonna tell you something about God. The providential hand of God can still keep his promises and still He'll do what he wants to do because he's God, amen? He still has a way to keep every promise but still do what he wants to and he don't do anything he doesn't want to do because he is God and he's the creator and we're the creature. But I would say this morning, uh, that word boldly means uh, we can come freely. It means that we've been given the opportunity that the door is left open, that it is never shut this morning and the reason for that is because of Calvary, the pain that he suffered at Calvary Calvary, it paid the sin day. And so we see here, my friend, the motive of his suffering. We see the mercy in his suffering. But then I want you to notice the magnitude of his suffering. The Bible says, being put to death in the flesh. Jesus died at Calvary. And if you look at this verse and you look at this phrase closely this morning, it was not a spiritual death. It was a physical death. Is that right this morning? He said being put to death in the flesh. Oh, hear me well this morning. There are those that want, you to th- want us to believe that Jesus came close to the point of death, but that he actually didn't die and that he didn't really resurrect. He just came so close to death and then he was still, he still managed somehow to obtain his life. That's not what the Bible says. He was put to death, amen. He laid his life down and he chose to pick it back up, amen. Christ died. Listen, the sin debt could not have been paid had Jesus not died and the songwriter was right when he made this statement. He said he suffered it all because he loved me. And in Romans chapter five and verse number six, the Bible said, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, amen. He died for me. He died as me. He died as if I died. Thank God this morning. The magnitude of his death is that Jesus was willing to give his life a ransom for many. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. He held nothing back. He died and he gave his all. You know, I thought about that this morning. When I read this text, this thought that came to my mind, how grateful would I be If someone, a total stranger, who I had no connection with, none whatsoever, was to save me from a burning building and lose his life in saving me, how grateful would we be? 
If someone pulled you from a burning building that did not know you, they weren't a family member, they weren't a church member, they was just a stranger passing by, but they were willing to face the flame. Now, Jesus did not go to hell. He, listen, he bore mine at Calvary, but he did not suffer in the flames of hell. He went to the paradise compartment. Amen. He was there for three days and three nights. And the Bible says in the next verse that he preached unto the spirits that were in prison. And so Jesus didn't burn up in hell. Amen. But I'll tell you what he did do. He was willing to suffer the, uh, my friend, the pain and the agony. But how grateful would I be if someone came to where I was uh, and rescued me from that burning uh, and they suffered in return and died in my place. Uh, how grateful would you be if someone saved your family from that same burning building? Uh, I want to tell you, uh, the flames of hell was waiting for every one of us. Uh, uh, hell was burning hotter and higher uh, than it ever had been. Uh, I'm glad before I ever came into this world, uh, God looked ahead of time and Jesus Christ was willing to come and die and thank God for the magnitude of his death. He took my place, amen. You know how grateful would we be if someone did that? And how much more grateful should we be when we go to church or when we pass somebody on the street? Calvary should always be with just a syllable of our vocabulary. We should be so focused on the cross that all else pales in comparison. The magnitude of his suffering. Then finally, I want you to notice the majesty of his suffering. The Bible says, but quickened by the Spirit. You know, when you think about it this morning, the Holy Spirit was active in all phases of our Savior's life. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 16, the Spirit conceived him. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, the Spirit of God anointed him at his baptism. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 14, the Spirit is how Jesus offered himself without spot unto God in his death. Romans 8 and verse 11 says that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. I want to say this morning, thank God for Calvary. Thank God for the pain and the agony and the suffering that our Savior was willing to go through. This morning, there's a lot of things that we could praise God for, and we should, and there's nothing wrong with praising God for the things He's done in our life. I think we ought to stand up and say, Lord, I want to thank you for every time you've put food on my table, and thank you for shoes on my feet. I think that's always in order and always proper, but at the same time, let us not forget this morning that if Jesus never did another thing, if He never blessed me again, if He never passed my way again, I'm telling you, if there was never nothing else, I could thank him from here to the graveyard that I don't have to go to hell. As Brother Allen said this morning, I'm not going to hell. Isn't that a blessing to sit in that pew this morning and be able to raise your hand and say, no, I'm not everything I ought to be. And I'm not everything I wished I, I was for God. But I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I'm glad I'm not a sinner out there lost. I feel sorry for a lost in a dying world that is blinded by sin and does not know Jesus. And I could 
could never tell you a thousand reasons or even one reason why he'd ever love somebody like me. How he'd, why he'd ever want to die for somebody like me. I can't imagine eight billion people on planet earth today uh, and I heard the gospel. I fell under old time conviction. He let me see myself a sinner. He let me see him as a savior. I'm not a Mormon. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a Jehovah witness. I'm not stooped in some false religion, some heathenistic God with hands that cannot feel and eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. But thank God I know the truth. I've been to Calvary. I've seen the Lord. I've been saved. Isn't it wonderful on a Sunday morning to be able to say that you know that you're being born again. That's a blessing above all other blessings this morning. And there's not a treasure on this earth that I, there's, and there's not a pleasure on this earth that I would trade this morning for being saved. Do you know that? There's not a treasure nor a pleasure that this world has to offer. I, I like that old song that says, I wouldn't trade Jesus. I think that's right. For the world. I wouldn't trade him for this world, would you? Brother Danny sings that song, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his. I'd rather be the Lord's this morning. I remember years ago as a teenager, I was sitting in church and Brother Buster Seaton was up preaching. And that song had just came out, Arise My Love. I think it had just come out like just a few weeks prior uh, to, uh, to this, this meeting that Brother Seaton was preaching. And Brother Seaton was preaching on the resurrection. And he was telling about, as he was preaching on Calvary and the resurrection in that service, he was talking about just a few weeks prior to that or just a couple weeks or so prior to that. He said he was at a church and on a Sunday morning and he said he got up and he said, or he said he was fixing to get up and preach and he said the trio got up and they sung that song, Arise my love, the grave no longer has a hold on you. And he said he got to singing that song and they'd never heard that song before. He said, man, people got to crying and people got to weeping. He said they sang another verse and then they sang another verse and he said the more they sang that, the deeper it got. He said the more they sang and the more foggy it got in that little old church. He said people got to shouting. His people shouting up the aisle. He said the preacher got happy. He said the preacher's wife got to shouting. He said before I knew it, he said I was about halfway down the aisle. He said and I was a shouting. And he said for about an hour and a half, he said all we did was let them sing that song and we shouted, amen. You know, I was thinking about that this morning. I've heard some say they went to meeting and they heard people sing a song over and over and over and it just bored them to death. You know why that is? Because I remember as a young preacher boy when they listened at Faith Baptist Camp they'd get up and sing a song and they would sing it for an hour. But I'll tell you why they sang it for an hour is because people was shouting. People was running the aisle. People was getting saved and the presence of God was real. It wasn't worked up. It wasn't, listen, it wasn't built up. God just sat down. Oh, for those days once again when he just sat down 
lot of monsters and I'm glad he still does. But I'm telling you this morning, he is not dead. He has been quickened by the Spirit. He is alive this morning in the same Spirit that quickened Jesus out of the grave is the same Spirit that quickens a sermon. It quickens a song. It quickens a service. It quickens a saint. I'm telling you this morning, it's good to be when God is there. Hallelujah. Isn't that right? I want to say this morning, I never, I pray to God, our church never dies. Y'all with me on that, aren't you? I pray we never get to the place where we just look at each other. Now it's a little stiff here this morning starting out. But thank God it wasn't plumb dead. It was on the lifeline, I'm not going to lie to you. And some days are just that way. I don't know why. Maybe somebody was grieving God. Maybe there's some sin in the church that needs flushed out. Maybe somebody's got a critical spirit. I don't know. If you do, I'm praying for you. I want you to know I'll be praying for you this afternoon too. Maybe it's because it is gloomy outside and you're tired in body. It happens sometimes. But when things like that happen, you know what you got to do? You got to push through it. And I'm going to tell you how you push through it. You don't push through it in the flesh. You pray in the spirit. You don't dry up on the vine and die and sit there and say, well, we'll just come back and try her again tonight. Oh, no. You just got to press on. I came within a hair saying, well, let's go to the house and we'll try it again tonight. And the Holy Ghost said, oh, no, you're preaching this morning. I said, Lord, at least give me a body so we can have a good funeral service. It's that way sometimes. I'm not fussing. But we have to be aware of that. You say, preacher, why are you so hard on that? Because it's my responsibility as a pastor to keep my hand on the pulse of the service. I don't always get it right. I don't always know. I don't always have, I have an inline, but I always try to be sensitive to the Lord. And I never want to, I never want to leave the way we came to you. I tell you this morning, as sure as Christ was quickened by the Spirit, He'll quicken a sinner this morning. You're here this morning lost without God. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. You don't have to leave that way. Hey, sinner, if you're sitting here this morning, you say, I just don't understand all this thing about, about going so far with church and God and, and the Bible. I don't understand always just giving your whole life to everything. No, that's because you're dead in your sins. If you're here this morning, you say, well, I don't want to do that. I remember before I got saved. I was as innocent about it as it could be, but before I got saved, this was my attitude. I, I prayed this to the Lord one time. I said, Lord, I, I, I want to be saved. I said, but I don't want to go to church. That's kind of humorous when you think about it. But as a teenager, I was just being sincere. God, I, I, I want to be saved, but I, I don't want to go to church. What I didn't know is after you get saved, you want to go to church. You want to go to church. You say, Brother Gravely, and I'll stop and say this, God let me get so sick of my sin that I was willing to do whatever it took to be saved. But you don't have to do anything to be saved. You just got to be willing. And after I got saved, there was something there that wasn't there before. Calvary. Calvary. Put it there. 
because I was dead. You say, what was there, preacher? Something that had never been there before. And it's still there today. You know what that is? It's a desire. It's a desire that a lost man don't have. He can be in church from the time he was born, but he don't have that desire. It's a desire. You say, what creates that desire? Life on the inside creates that desire. My flesh is still anti-God. My flesh will say sometimes, you don't want to read your Bible this morning. Your flesh ever tell you that? Your flesh will say, you're too tired to pray. Don't that, wouldn't that bed feel a whole lot better than getting on your knees and praying right now? Your flesh will say, you don't want to go to church. You've, you've worked so hard. You, you've had such a tough week. The Lord, that's that flesh. I'm glad I'm not left alone. Dead in my sins, my flesh. Because that flesh talks to me, but there's somebody else talks to me. When that flesh says, you don't want to read that Bible today, not this morning, you, you can read it later. There's something else on the inside that said, oh, you need to go read it right now. You might be tired, but it'll help you. As someone inside said, you make time for it. You, you'll be glad you did. That's something will say, don't you want to go to church? Boy, to start getting Saturday evening. And I don't know about you, but my mind, well, I'm telling you on Saturday, and it's not because I'm a preacher. Before, I can tell you, after I got saved, my mind started on Saturday thinking about Sunday. Church. How about you? Is that the way you're that inside, that, that spirit talks to you? Oh, tomorrow's church. Sunday's not the end of a weekend. It's the beginning of the week. I don't live for Fridays, do you? I live for Sunday. Hey, that spirit that lives inside of you, it'll talk to you right now. That flesh will talk to you. That flesh will tell you, hello, past 12 o'clock and he's still preaching. And Miss Sheila's playing the piano and I'm glad she does. I'm glad I don't even have to call her. She just knows when to come. But that flesh will say, she's playing the piano and he don't even act like he's fixing to quit. <laughs> Not even close. That's what that flesh will say. But the spirit says, oh, you ain't got nothing going on. Two-thirds of the world's never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. You're sitting in church past 12 o'clock. The Spirit says, you don't go to one of them dead churches where you walk in and you get a menu and you know who's praying and what they're praying and the preacher's sermon's on this side of the page and you can read it along as he talks about it. And at 12 o'clock sharp, right on the nose, the benediction prayer's prayed. You don't go to one of them churches and the Spirit says, you can thank God for that. You can thank God that your church runs over into overtime. That's what the Spirit says. And the flesh will say, now don't you go to that altar. But if you need to come, the Spirit will say, you need to go. This morning as we stand...